Welcome to the Truth CSGO podcast, episode 90. Today we're talking the latest two in-game updates. Flashpoint Season 1, EPL Season 11, the new road to Rio major qualifications, a hell of a lot of other headlines, and then some talk about tribalism and the virus. Hey guys, this is Electro. Hey guys, I'm Guardian. This is Daps. This is Nico. This is Nifty. This is Chris J. This is Ferry. Code Zero. Flusher. Oh, this is Kerrigan. Are you listening to the truth? The truth. The truth. The truth. The truth. The truth. The truth. CSGO podcast. The truth. CSGO podcast. The truth. CSGO podcast. Are we rushing in or are we going sneaky beaky like? So it's been a while between apps because I've been fairly sick and we'll talk about that at the end. But before I do, there's a headline that I missed we should just talk about very quickly. There was a player called Butt J who died in December. and He was part of the Counter-Strike community. He was a Brazilian pro who was about to play for Imperial. That's the Brazilian team with Showtime and ZQKS. He died in December at the age of 19 from what appears to be a cerebral edema, which is a buildup of fluid around the brain. Often it happens in response to an injury. According to the website Globo.com, his parents' lawyers are taking his orgs to court for a host of reasons that sound like a nightmare, both at the team Reaper House, where he'd been since December 2018, at the Imperial House as well, where he'd only just moved. Uh, There's a lot of sordid details. The important thing is a young man has died with his life ahead of him, and a very promising future as well. His name was Mateus Kiroz. I have no idea how to pronounce it, but that's my best shot. At the time of his death, he had a 1.12 rating. So he was definitely on the up and up, and we should have a little moment of silence. Let's hope his parents find some consolation in whatever happens with the courts from this point on. Now, there's been two updates to Counter-Strike in the last two weeks. The first one brought a host of weapons updates. We saw the SG finally get nerfed, doing now less damage per second than the AK. We saw the AUG having some slight uh, adjustments. The M4A1S got a price reduction to 2,900. Uh, the Tech-9 definitely got a bit of a buff in terms of its inaccuracy, and the Bison got increased armor penetration. The Tech 9 I was very excited about because I used to love playing with that gun. And if you're like me and you enjoy uh, some Olaf highlights from Cobblestone circa 2015, 2016, you'd be of a mind. Now, there was a buff that uh, happened to the Deagle where you could shoot while jumping quite accurately. That has been reversed in this week's update. And this week's update also brought an experimental 1v1 warm-up mode, these kind of little mini arenas that you can warm up in while waiting for a game to start. We've seen this being rolled out in a couple of wingman maps. And some of the footage of this looks like uh, pretty cute little sort of mini arenas, I guess, uh, that are basically existing in Vertigo and Train at this point in time. Uh, I am not a huge fan of 1v1s because there's a little less, little, a little less fragging than I would like. Um, and in terms of my preparation, I'm usually more of a win- mental warm-up guy. I, I think I noticed that more than having an aim warm-up. And I think 1v1s, 1v1s can sometimes get me uh, a little bit rattled. <laughs> so this is a cool thing to be able to spend your time doing 
but it's probably not going to take the place of a proper warm-up. Uh, you can also announce the other players' crosshairs while spectating and matchmaking uh, as of this update. And you can also copy their crosshairs on the scoreboard. Uh, this is apparently a reaction to the fact that Valorant has rolled this out as an option, so that's a good sign. Perhaps Valorant will be the kick in the pants Valve needs to make this game even better. Now, one of these updates, I'm not sure whether it was the latest one or the one just before, has brought some massive changes to the B site on Vertigo, and that site for me has been one of the most enjoyable sites to hold because it's also kind of one of the most stressful. It's one of those ones where you need, really, a headshot if you're retaking it because there's so many crates at waist height and it's very much an aim, an aimless game at that point. So uh, I would check that out if you're a Vertigo fan. Let's move on to Flashpoint Season 1. Flashpoint Season 1 was won by Mad Lions two nights ago in a final against MIBR, which just goes to show that Kicking Hunden was not the worst thing they could have done. This was three fairly close games in the final, including a third on train where MIBR gave up a 12-3 lead, so that's fairly traumatic. Asilian, who was Hunden's replacement, performed very well across the whole league, so props to them for sticking to their guns. These guys won $500,000 in their Jimmy Jams and a large AK trophy. The rankings for the league were, in this order, Mad Lions, MIBR, Havu, Cloud9, Orglis, Genji, Funplus Phoenix, Chaos Contact, Dignitas Envy, Copenhagen Flames. So those results are different to the predictions that I'm pretty sure I had uh, several episodes ago. Mad Lions looked like they might have shot themselves in the foot at the beginning. But what I saw um, even demonstrated that they were kind of tactically intact. You know, Hunden, this this genius, uh, didn't seem to have as much of an impact. Obviously not on the fragging, but on the tactics as I would have expected. Uh, the analysts on Flashpoint apparently all saw these results coming, but I didn't expect MIBR, for instance, to get this high in the rankings, considering some of the epic whiffs that I've been seeing in them recently, but I guess they have enough experience at the core to float on top somewhat. I still think they need to go on a vision quest, uh, but I'm not going to get into that uh, bag anymore. Havu performed above expectations, only losing to MIBR and Mad Lions twice, which, as two Finnish teams, felt like a bit of the derby curse anyhow. These guys are now ranked above Ents, and the top team in Finland uh, belongs to them. There's someone else for Ents as well to pick apart should they decide not to go up a mountain and instead go for a cheap pickup, although it appears they're already sniffing around Yumpy. We'll get to that at the very end. Uh, now, Cloud9 ended up where I expected here. Orglis overperformed, which is a testament to FNS, I suppose, although probably more a result of hunger on the part of the players, all of whom do not have the careers they once had even a year ago. This is not a good look for Gen G to have tied with them, but apparently Daps was playing with an extra 100 ping from Canada. In fact, a lot of these results in the last couple of months should be taken with a grain of salt. I have no idea what the pings were for most of these matches, and it's possible there were a lot more fluctuations than just daddy daps. Now, Fun Plus Phoenix were not actually Swall Patrol, which I reported last episode. They ended up being bad news bears for God knows what reason. This is an absolutely disastrous entry for Fun Plus Phoenix into CS, although... Um, it probably is on par with 100 Thieves' <laughs> initial one, um, which actually, come to think about it, probably looks 
a little bit painful, uh, painless, I should say, in comparison to what Fun Plus Phoenix has gone through. Uh, I have to say, overall, in this competition, I expected a lot more from Chaos, although they had a stand-in. Uh, I really expected a lot more from Contact, and I don't want to talk about Dignitas because I haven't cried on the podcast yet, and I don't want to start now. On the positive side, I think when some of the bigger teams see the way this tournament went, we should probably see some jump ship from ESL next time around, especially if there's a bit of a pinch with uh, you know, a potential recession post-COVID. Uh, I think there was a lot more personality over in the Flashpoint camp, although it wasn't always my cup of tea, uh, but there was definitely more flavor than in the sometimes anemic ESL stream that would have a full best of three with Hugo and Harry, uh, not necessarily known for their edgy personalities for, for you know to begin with, and then it would cut to a full breakdown by the exact same duo afterwards, which, even if you like them, never really adds much because they've already said everything they have to say basically during the match, and this is not their fault. Uh, this is just a system. Overall, though, I really didn't think um, Flashpoint drew me in a lot more than it did at the beginning, and I probably went over the reasons in the last episode, but I probably watched even less than I was thinking I would in that episode. Partly it's down to the fact that Dignitas were out, but also because the negativity of the casters and the analysts was a bit distracting and left a bit of a bad taste in my mouth, and the amount of talent shit-talking the teams in their own tournament just it turned me off a bit. Uh, it's not a... Um, it's not a matter of judgment. It actually just spoiled the experience a bit. Now, for a tournament that was predicated on delivering a different experience as a whole with a focus on content, I think they did a good job of using that extra content to sour the flavor of some of the matches. I will say, Sean Garris is probably the best thing about what I saw. He was consistently good-humored, and he wasn't taking the bait for um, invitations to hyperbole. Um, and he delivered some very interesting analysis. Overall, though, I think this has been uh, probably a success, especially as it's kind of been... It's, it's, it's come out of nowhere. It's been made from scratch, and it delivered you know, a fairly good product. And if they keep turning the screws, then we're definitely putting some good pressure on ESL. Speaking of ESL, I was going to say the devil, but I really shouldn't say that. Let's cut to ESL Pro League Season 11. ESL Pro League 11. Uh, <laughs> ESL Pro League Season 11 finished last week. Due to the Rones, it was divided into EU and NA, so everyone could play in the Jimmy Jams. The North American tournament was won by Liquid. They defeated Evil Geniuses in the grand final, and this was definitely the easier tournament. There's only six teams here compared to, I think, um, Europe, which had, I think, 12, maybe 10. Um, and the prize money wasn't didn't reflect it actually. Liquid won ninety thousand dollars here compared to the first place in the Europe competition, which was one hundred and ten k. So not bad for Liquid at all. It's good size. Two seconds in, one hundred thieves were definitely the disappointment here. These guys came in last. I don't know what's going on with the boys. They're supposed to play to the level of their opponents, but this was a bit diz. Maybe they had ping issues too. Now, the European competition was won by Fnatic in a best of five against Mouse Sports out of the. 18 teams I've got written down here. Shit, so EU was 18 teams and NA was 6. Wow, big difference. I guess Liquid had a very uh, very easy alley-oop there. You can tell I didn't pay as much attention to this as I really should have, but I had things to do, like um, drink too much beer uh, before the sun went down. Now, 
I think Fnatic, they're just, they're just still too damn good at the game. For all the non-excitement that was signing Golden and Flusher, at least uh, in my particular tent, it seems they really have congealed into a dangerous team. In fact, it felt like they kind of had Mouse's number the whole way through, or that Mouse perhaps used all their anti-stratting energy on defeating Astralis in the semis after getting stomped in the groups by them, which was actually quite a fun little redemption story. And I do say Astralis, but when I do, I err, because at least for this tournament, they were known as Astralis Unibet. And I guess I should probably also say Fnatic Rivalry, because that's what they were also called. And to these teams, or marketing managers, or CEOs, or whoever got talked into doing this, I say, come on. Come on. I know you leveraged to the hilt, and I know you've got debts probably, but once you've changed the actual name of your team to include a website where people gamble, you've crossed a line that I think sucks. There is now no way that people can ignore your gambling advertising, and that means that a bunch of under-18-year-old kids tune in to see their favorite CS teams play, and instead discover their teams now somehow incorporate advertising for something that the majority of the world has deemed them incapable of making a rational decision about. Now, I love the players, I love the game, I love the tournaments, but this feels like the first time I went to Venice Beach and was looking out at the oblivion of the ocean, trying to recapture uh, the fragments of my soul that had been shattered uh, as part of my experience in Los Angeles, when a fucking flame, a plane flew past in my vision with a banner for home insurance. And unfortunately, this is what happens when you float on the stock market. Now you've got a disembodied mass of shareholders who don't necessarily care what visual pollution assails the eyes of casual, innocent, virginal CSGO viewers. And I would say to you, why not just go further? Why not just call a device device Unibet or Unibet Glaive or Golden Rivalry? It's like um, this oval, this football oval in Sydney, Brookvale Oval, Brookie, as it was affectionately known to the locals, one of the all-time cult rugby league grounds in Sydney, has now been renamed Lotto Land. Lotto Land. Fuck off. I don't understand why the city of Copenhagen doesn't just rename itself Copenhagen Unibet. Just, Just be done with it. I'd love to go and visit gg.bet Sweden with their Prime Minister Stefan CSGO Money Leuven. Anyway, back to ESL Pro League Season 11. Overall, this didn't really feel like a big tournament to me the way last year's did, probably because it's online. But also the division between regions uh, was kind of deflating. Without the teams coming together at the end, it felt like a bit of an anti-climax. Maybe that's why the level of CS felt overall a bit lower than usual, or maybe it's just me. Maybe it's because I'm drifting in and out of an unusually negative malaise and uh, swimming in a giant swirling washing machine of question marks. You know, I've spent more time browsing things online and not buying them than I have, I think, in my entire life in the past week. If there's a sure sign you're depressed, it's that you're addicted to shopping online without ever spending any money. Now, the road to Rio. The road to Rio. Mm. The road to Rio. As if it wasn't hard enough getting our heads around all the leagues and stuff, there's a whole bunch of new stuff to work out about the Rio Major. God damn it, I feel like I've had this episode five times. 
Firstly, you need to forget everything you know about the miners that happened. Shh, shh, shh. Don't say a word. Don't say a word. Don't speak. You'll ruin the moment. Just forget everything. Just go full memento on this bitch. Dignitas never qualified for anything. Basically, Valve have announced these things called RMR. It's not Rasters making reggae. It's regional manker... <laughs> oh... Way to stuff up your own bad joke. It's regional major rankings. These guys have thrown out all the safety of legends and champions. Basically, if you want to compete at Rio in November, you got to have enough points. And there are a few ways to make enough points. Some teams have been given a bunch of starting points based on their rankings at Star Ladder, the last major. And then there's a series starting next week called Road to Rio. And after that, two series called Summer and Fall pardon me, with increasing weight given to the amount of points earned. And this makes me grind my teeth in frustration. Dudes, men's, McPeoples, it's only fall in half the world. For the other half, it's the complete opposite. And only one country, or maybe Canada, calls it fall anyway. Actually, I'd like to know if there are more countries than uh, Canada and the US. Anyway, either way, enough with this seasonal shit. Seriously. Things are going to change once global warming gets underway anyway, so beat the crowds and change it now. Although, to be fair, considering the way things seem to be going, you might not be far off just calling autumn tornado. And people wouldn't go on spring break, they'd go on raging inferno break. And instead of 500 days of summer, why don't we just call it 500 days of Mars-level heatwave? Winter is still winter, it's just old winter will be referred to as spring. Anyway, the team's invited to these qualification tournaments include the ones that ranked in the minors so it wasn't entirely for nothing but still are you getting lost here because that's how i feel now most interesting are the way points will be deducted uh, during this qualification series a system or series of tournaments for roster changes in between the seasons now i won't get into the thorny weeds on this you can go online to find out it does all feel a little bit like whose line is it anyway where the points don't matter but one of the biggest impacts this will have is on australis who apparently will lose 20% of their points every time Tag wants to stand in when Device has period pains. Now, the points won't matter once they're in the Major, however, but there's not that many slots uh, for who is actually going to be in the Major. I think there's, I don't know, you guys do the maths, but based on the regions uh, and how they did at Star Ladder, Europe's going to get 11 spots, the CIS will get 5, NA will get 5, South America will get 1, Asia gets 1, and good old Oceania gets one. Now, although the teams... Uh, oh, no. I shouldn't say although. I should say also. The teams are currently voting on whether or not coaches will be allowed on the team speak. So this, I guess, comes down to the issue I was talking about a couple of reps ago that I actually heard no one else bring up, which was that coaches... Were probably, not because I'm a genius, just because I'm in my own, own, in my own cave. Uh, coaches can basically talk uh, whenever they want to when you're online which makes a mockery of the old ruling that coaches are only allowed to speak during timeouts. Uh, so this, I guess, is to address this. I think it seems like a slightly unenforceable rule, and I'm not the only person to bring this up. Elise apparently said on his Twitter something along the lines of, you know, well, what's to stop people from just muting TeamSpeak and then talking to their... um coach in the room and i think that's um a good point there's a lot of things that cannot be enforced by playing online and like i pointed out on my twitter probably in a fit of overreactive cynicism um how will we knowing that any of the players aren't on performance enhancing drugs for instance how do we know they're not uh 
just getting getting down a little bit of crystal meth under the tape in between rounds. There's actually no way of knowing. This is one of the perils of online play. I don't know what's going to happen. It's a mystery. Hmm. I'm a pet has left evil geniuses. Chet, I'm a pet sing has flown the evil geniuses coop after a gazillion years with that team or core, I should say, because he was on NRG before. In a large twit longer, he performed the balletic passive aggressive read between the lines pirouette that that particular format seems almost exclusively used for, including the line, there is definitely a lot more that I will keep behind closed doors for now. Or something like that. It seems that he didn't agree with Stan, the Slaw, and Tarek, and there was some little triangle going on. Not surprising, really. Where should I'm a pet go? Probably Envy. Um, I think someone needs to whip up some eggs and put a dash of milk in and pour it over that hodgepodge chorizo chicken and broccoli mixture. Sitting all lumpy on that pastry base, smash it into the oven, bake it at a sweet 200 for 30 minutes. And serve up some fucking quiche, because that shit is going nowhere fast. If you just saw the final few rounds against Cloud9 and the DreamHack Masters qualification, you would know what I'm talking about. And now Zeus has just waltzed straight into Evil Geniuses, which some saw happening, despite having Coach Stan on Liquid a couple of years back and leaving on a somewhat divided note. Feels like a bit of a dosy do actually. Now, the problem is, where's Armapet going to go? Uh, obviously not to MIBR with a language barrier. If I was him, I'd probably sign with a nice European org. Someone in the 20s, you know, a North or a Godsend or a Heroic. Just put a, put a little deposit down on a cheap apartment. Someone in the Riviera, perhaps the Sicilian coast. Suck down that Mediterranean diet. You know real estate's going to be cheap post-Cove. Get, a, get yourself a straw hat. Work on a bit of that tan. Uh, not that he probably needs one. Just anti-strat your way to long life. If the team fails, he can blame it on the team who are already not uh, world beaters. You know, they're in the 20s. And if they succeed, and he's a kingmaker. Either way, he learns to make his own pasta on a reg base. And let's just say he wins a few 2021 lands. Dude's going to have enough cap to blow a small vineyard and start stomping grapes in between boot camps. This is a win, win, win situation. Let's smash through some other headlines. Yam has joined Chiefs as a coach. Brilliant. I want to speak to this guy, so hopefully we can get a little interview going at some point. We last heard of him standing in for ex-base soldiers during a brief brief flirtation in Turkey. This is great for Chiefs. Awesome. Awesome to see he's returned to native shores. I assume he came back for the COVID virus and jumped at the op to help these boys get to the next level. I believe they are in the road to Rio. Um... Yes, they are on the road to Rio Oceania qualifier. So hopefully he'll be the, uh, you know, just the last little bit that tips him over the edge. Now, Vanga have given up on fielding a CS roster. They are now going to build esports venues. LMBT has moved to Forts as coaching staff. Sad to see those guys go. They were synonymous with uh, Jame Time for a while there, but have decided that they're sick of losing money. Dosha has returned at a new team called Mustang Crew. And... Um, Oh, yeah, I guess I should mention, remember all that interminable um, stuff we had to remember and learn for how Blast was going to work? Apparently, that's all completely changed. Uh, I've talked enough about uh, that tournament in particular and all of the Rio stuff this episode. 
and my brain can't cope. So just go online and find that find out how it's going to work. Um, that's a bit of a diversion. Let's go back to the teams. Hellraisers have benched the entire team. Angel Crush and Nucky are now available. That was six years for Angel on Hellraisers. Uh, I'm not sure where the perfect place is for him. Um, probably, you know, a, a CIS Tier 2 team that needs improvement. Maybe um, Hellraisers. Oh, wait. <laughs> uh, Virtus Pro, perhaps. Or Spirit, you know, one of them. There's plenty of options for him. Uh, Illumina have a new team with Innocent Reets, Mouse, Veggie, and Snacksy. Heroic have brought on Tessas from Copenhagen Flames. They've also benched Snappy. That was as a result of Ezetag getting blow-darted by Astralis and dragged back to Zonix Man Cave. DK reckons they're going to get the Danish Nico. Oh, actually, as of recording, he has just been confirmed, which is Brill. Um... I still think he needs a new nickname, but let's not get into that again. Yampi apparently is not really going to sue Valve. He just wants to talk to them, which is fair enough. That's how I've gotten my dates in the past. Blocked by a girl on Twitter. Take it to court. Apparently, Ents are going to sign him anyway, according to this guy, Jake Lucky, on Twitter. And I think Nell has now seen them playing together on a server. And um, this means X7 is out, which kind of sucks because... There was something very charismatic about that clutch he had against Simple at whatever bloody major it was, Star Ladder or something, or Face at London. And where can a guy like that go? You're not um, you're not winning points for personality here. Uh, probably end up on Havu at some point because he's got the uh, he's got the chops, I guess. But why would they want to get rid of anyone right now? They're above Ents and they just won 500k in the Jimmy Jams. We did mention Chaos before, but Smuya is out permanently of that team. He wasn't playing in uh, Flashpoint because the US didn't want that noise. Or Steel didn't, actually. Uh, I can't remember what I saw, but my impression was he lost a bit of control of the team when Smuya was around. According to DK, Smuya's been offered a contract by Sprout, and Oscar's going to be out, which is weird timing, as Oscar just tweeted, <laughs> and I quote, I need Tier 1 team ASAP, and then later attempted to back out of the statement saying, what the fuck, man, wanted to say I need tier one skills back. <sighs> I mean, come on, dude. Anyway, Chaos should really get jumpy, as I said, uh, and double down on not going to the major. Um, instead, they've decided to stick with Voltage, who they had on loan from Triumph for Flashpoint. They've also got a completely new roster which I don't even know when this happened, but it's it's now got Zeppa and Leaf who've joined to replace Sick and Cam. I don't know when Infinite and Whippy left. It's chaos. We just uh, surpassed Dota's all-time record of concurrent players. I say we, I mean CSGO. We hit over 1.3 million concurrent players. And that's because CSGO is the greatest game of all time. But seriously, it seemed like yesterday when we were uh, looking like we were never, ever, ever going to have the popularity that Dota had, at least on Steam. So the times are changing. Now, let's talk about the virus. Let's talk about this goddamn virus. The unrelenting misty spray of confusion continues settling on my face. It feels eroding in a way I can't quite put my finger on. Needless to say... I know I'm not alone. We are facing daily news of the sort that China's air quality, newly improved as a result of the lack of people driving on the road, has now saved more lives than COVID has killed, according to website gfeed.com, or that California 
has half the amount of car accidents, saving them $40 million a day. And this is news at which we can only shake our heads wryly. And if we're a cynic, we probably say to ourselves, well, well, as if anything's going to change once this is over. We're probably just going to double down on driving like a dieter who's binging after their 30 days of no carbs are up. But if we're hopeful, we'll think perhaps this will be enough for people to see alternatives to how they've been living and the way the world works will change. But if we're anything like me, apart from the occasional toe dipped in one of the two of these camps, depending on whether I've just gotten laid or laid off, we'll be stuck in a fairly narrow 127 days-esque wedge between the two of these extremes, a sort of sighing stasis of give-upism where it would seem like 200,000 years of evolution has produced a reliably depressing answer to what exactly we're going to do when this is all over based on the basic principles of game theory of a race to the bottom. And it's basically that after this, we're going to think, you know, perhaps we'll think, I'm not going to use my car today because it's so much better for the world. And we see all the other people who we work with who are not using their car and a gentleman's agreement arises, unspoken, until someone transfers in from another department in another state and they drive to work and suddenly they're in at work earlier than we are, looking more rested and getting more work done and getting that promotion and resentment builds in us and our gentleman's agreement uh, suddenly means we're losing out. And so gradually, we all just revert back to driving cars. And that's kind of where I stand. I think in my head on what's going to happen after this. But the thing that really interests me right now is the visible way our tribalism is accordioning. I'm not sure if that's a word, but I think you know what I mean. It's going in and out, rising up and down. Uh, And I guess what I mean is, for instance, we kind of live in a, well, we think we live in a very law-abiding, harmonious society, but a lot of that's probably due to the fact that it takes very little effort, at least in Australia and other Western countries, to to obey the law. And, I mean, it's, it's really kind of as easy as just not killing someone or just not stealing things. But cracks start to appear in this idea at the slightest discomfort. Uh, for instance, maybe you're told you can't have toilet paper for a little bit or that you can't go to the beach when the sun is shining. And once that happens, lines are drawn. And now it's not me and you. Now it's me and my family against you. Or it's me and whoever lives in my house versus you and whoever lives in your house. Uh, a friend of mine said, you know, one of the things this has done is showed us how fragile those uh, lines are between um, feeling connected to someone and feeling like the enemy of someone. And I don't think it's that these lines are fragile, that they've been broken. I think a lot of these lines are illusions and they're comforts that we like to tell each other. And this has just shone a light on some of the fact on, on the facts that some of these do not exist. But anyway, this explains the feeling that I and I guess others have been reporting, which is this uncontrollable anger towards others who are not doing as much uh, as we feel we are. And by doing as much, I I guess I mean, you know, like whatever your your country or your government is asking you to do, whether it's keep 1.5 meters away from other people, not go outside unless it's absolutely necessary, etc., etc. My flatmates and I have spoken a lot about the phenomenon of walking down the street, doing your best to studiously avoid people and keep the recommended distance of 1.5 meters, and then someone comes from behind and brushes right past you. And you experience this anger, this kind of flushing anger out of all proportion to the incident. And... 
I think it has something to do with a tribal righteousness. It's the same indignation we feel seeing the new transfer from out of state driving their car to work when we've been sacrificing, um, you know, potential promotion by walking on the unspoken assumption that we're all not going to be driving now. And I think this is very similar, in fact, to the fourth month of many a romantic relationship where the honeymoon period wears off and suddenly one person realizes the other person doesn't replace the toilet paper once they're finished. This person just leaves the old cardboard roll on and then gets a new one out and just leaves it on top of the cistern. And this is enraging to the first person. How many times have they put the put the new roll on <clears throat> in the past? They've, they've done it every single time. And now the one time this other person has a responsibility to do it, they don't do it. They just leave the cardboard roll on. How inconsiderate are they? Does this person not realize how easy it is just to swap the roles over? And a fury builds in this first person out of all proportion. And this is a product of what was previously operating uh, in a perfectly functional way as an individual, this person. Uh, And the fact that they are now having to widen their sphere of concern for someone else and to accept that their tribe uh, now consists of someone outside their circle. And for some evolutionary reason, which I'm not smart enough to know about, or or at least I'm too lazy to have properly researched, if we widen this circle and others don't, it can be very, very confronting. Now, the girls in my house, they've all madly been ordering all sorts of active wear online. My best mate has a pull-up bar installed in his house, despite I'm pretty sure never having done a pull-up before the virus. And one of my neighbors insists on working out in the backyard for four hours a day. And I know this because he plays Lincoln Park the whole time, which may be why I'm feeling right now like I've tried so hard and got so far, but in the end, it may not even matter. It could just be me. But my point is, we're suddenly going exercise crazy. And if you live near a park like me, you would know what I'm talking about. People have suddenly just can't get enough of running and press-upping and doing lunge squats uh, in public places and for a misanthrope like me who was already working at home and going to the park to get away from my home uh, it's bitterly disappointing to step into what used to be my sanctuary of nature for a midday CSGO workout only to find myself in the middle of a page from Where's Wally and the interesting thing about this is that an interest in personal fitness has recently been correlated with an increase in narcissism that we're more interested in how we look, the smaller our circle is uh, of repetitive, meaningful interactions. And there's been a similar correlation pointed out uh, between this increase in narcissism and a rise in dog ownership. Um, I think this is kind of flimsy, but if you're in a dating app and you've been swiping left on everyone who tells you points if you have a dog, you know what I'm talking about. Now, this is kind of, I mean, it's an extreme example, but it's another sign that this crisis isn't really doing what we hoped it might. And the hope I'm referring to is the old idea that an alien invasion would unite humanity, that a common enemy can bind us into this giant us versus them tribe. And in a weird way, the form this virus, the way this virus requires us to self-isolate has seemingly cancelled out the effects of what might have been a socially congealing event. And I mentioned last week, a lot of people have likened this situation to wartime. But one of the interesting things about wartime, at least in this country, was that there was a sharp divide between the men who volunteered for action and the men who didn't. And it was commonly known who did and who didn't. Uh, If you had a uniform, your virtue was clear. 
you were a good bloke, and if you were pulling for the whole, uh, sorry, and, and then you were pulling for the whole tribe. But if you didn't, well, then you copped a lot of disapproval. But there isn't a great way to demarcate virtue or a cohesion of values during COVID. So I could be sick. I could walk outside and cough all over a swing set in the park, and no one would really be the wiser. Uh, and there's very little chance of me being shamed by social pressure, in other words, for, for these actions. And so instead of seeing people in the street and feeling like they're allies and that we're all on the same team, we actually feel suspicious of them, or at least some of us do, <laughs> like me. I find myself thinking, how long have they been outside? Are they on a completely necessary trip? Are those people they are actually with, uh, those people they're with actually their family and so on? And I think a part of that is because I look at myself with a suspicious eye. But this is not about me. This is about society. Um, But, you know, let's talk about me for a second because I was sick a couple of weeks ago and I had all the symptoms of the virus. This is why I didn't uh, do an episode. I was damn sick. My flatmates locked the house the fuck down very quickly and I went and got tested. I didn't have it, um, which was I had mixed feelings about. Um, apart from a little embarrassment at messaging everyone I knew to tell them I had the virus like the moment I thought I did. Um, I was a little let down because having gotten it, it felt like at least I'd moved forward and that I'd taken a step. In the narrative that the virus had imposed on me, I'd actually turned a page. And the most frustrating thing about this is that it can feel like we're kind of out of control of the narrative of our own lives. And it can even feel like who we were recedes occasionally behind a wall of anxiety and behind endless phone conversations about this new situation and behind concern for how civic-minded we are or how civic-minded our neighbours aren't. But I think we have to remember that we're always in control of the narrative because that's what kind of makes us human. And I think we should end this with a little quote from Aristotle that I found that, I don't know, it kind of, it's applicable to this idea of navigating loyalties and tribalism and trust, I guess. In his Politics Book 2, he says, I'm speaking of the premise from which the argument of Socrates proceeds, that the greater the unity of the state, the better. Is it not obvious that a state may at length attain such a degree of unity as to be no longer a state? Since the nature of a state is to be plurality, is to be a plurality, and intending to greater unity from being a state, it becomes a family, and from being a family and individual, for the family may be said to be more than the state, and the individual than the family. So that we ought not to attain this greatest unity even if we could, for it would be the destruction of the state. Again, A state is not made up only of so many men, but of different kinds of men, for similars do not constitute a state. And so I think that's applicable in as far as it gives me somewhat of a counter-argument to my extreme agitation with other human beings. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher and leave a comment on Reddit. You can contribute to the Patreon, patreon.com slash thetruthcsgo. I'm going to do a special Patreon-only episode soon all about identity. So if you like the non-CSGO content the most, you can subscribe and help pay for the server costs. You can get in touch at the truth at thetruthcsgo.com or on Twitter at thetruthcsgo. Music was by Beaufort. 
Until next time, enjoy the game. The Road to Rio starts soon. And if you want to watch it with us, get on the Discord. The Discord's on my Twitter.